Today is the big day. Today is a day that many people have been waiting for for several months. The beginning of cowboy season. (laughs) This is the first day that the regular season kicks off. But I wonder, way back there in the 70s, or maybe back in the 60s, if there was a vision of the current Cowboy Stadium. Or I guess you call it AT&T Stadium, right? You drive by and you drive to Dallas and you, you pass that big open space that used to be the old Cowboy Stadium. Remember that? I don't even know when that was built. Maybe in the 60s, maybe in the 70s. When they were building that stadium, did they envision Jerry World? I doubt that they did, right? This massive stadium with the largest screen, indoor screen. Could they have imagined that building? When we think about the Benbrook Church of Christ, newly planted, what do we see years down the road? We've planted a church now that's, that's small. We have 40 folks or so that are part of this church. What do we see 20 years from now? Do we see a church with godly leaders? Do we see a church that is thriving because of that leadership? I want us to challenge ourselves this morning by thinking about one aspect of how we grow as a church, and that is developing leaders for the church. We take a hiatus this morning from our study in Job. Because some of the folks that are mourning this morning because of uh, a death in their community, because of a death in their family, and they're at that memorial this morning, let's take a hiatus from that study of Job and come back to that next week. But think this morning about what we need to have leaders in the church. How do we develop that leadership? It was interesting as we were listening, listening to Jay this morning talk about discipleship. And how Jesus spent time with his disciples. That these were men that were messed up in many ways when Jesus called them. And Jesus said to them, I will make you become fishers of men. And Jesus spent three years with these men who were flawed and had problems. And yet Jesus shaped them into the men who would be those who would lead the church in the earliest days of the church. And whom he would use to write his New Testament, many of them. He shaped them. They were transformed. But it didn't happen overnight. It happened with careful work at the hands of Jesus, to develop these men. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to, first of all, 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And notice what Paul says to Timothy as he tells Timothy, I want you to install men as leaders in the church, as overseers in the church. Notice what he says, 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 
And then he says in verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And he gives several qualifications for what it is to be a leader in the church. But do you notice that the basis for identifying a man to be a leader in the church, Paul says he must demonstrate his leadership ability in his family. Look at what Paul says as he writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1. He says, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I direct you, directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. And he goes on to talk about other qualifications for an elder, an overseer in the church. But again, he ties the ability to lead in the church to a man's ability to lead his own family so that his children are able to grow up and be Christians and not open to the charge of being rebellious or given to debauchery or have their lives completely in ruin. How do we develop leaders in the church? We help men grow into these qualities. And men develop these qualities and demonstrate these qualities within their families. This morning as we think about church leadership, I want us to think about men who are leaders in their families. This morning we're going to think about what Jesus says, or rather what Paul says, to husbands. And then to men as fathers. And I want us to think about how we get there. I see Reagan this morning. Reagan's a young man, recently baptized, still in middle school. He's that Dallas Cowboys stadium back in the 60s or 70s. Do we see Reagan as that AT&T stadium? That high point in Arlington. Do we see Reagan someday as being a leader in the church? So many years in the future, how do we get there? How do we develop a young man into a leader in the church? That's what we're after this morning. So let's begin by thinking about how men first become leaders in their home. When we think of Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus... He talks about this relationship between husbands and wives in order to demonstrate the relationship between Christ and the church. Often we look at Ephesians chapter 5, and this is the passage most women like the least because over the years it's been used to really, in a way, maybe bully wives. And we miss often what Paul is really saying, first of all, about the relationship between Christ and the church, but also how men are to be leaders in their families. Notice what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he would be that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own his wife his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I am speaking of with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and that the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Paul says the focus in what I am telling you is about the relationship to Christ and the church. This is the great mystery. And Paul says what God has done is he's taken Christ and he has married Christ to the church. They are supposed to have such a close relationship, Christ and the church, that it's like a healthy husband and wife relationship. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, and God says, the narrator of Genesis says, that God looked at the man and he said, man is pitiful without his wife. He is pitiful by himself. He needs something else. And so Moses tells us there in Genesis chapter 2 that God looked at the man and he said, I will make a helper for the man. And he made Adam go to sleep. And he took a rib out of Adam's side and he fashioned that rib into the woman. And he says, Adam, here is your wife. And the two shall become one flesh. What God has brought together, let no one separate. Let the husband and wife be cleaved together. And the word cleave is really the idea of joining so closely together that you can't separate the two of them without tearing them both apart. It's the idea of taking two sheets of paper and getting some super glue. And spreading that super glue between those two sheets of paper and putting them together and making them one piece of paper. You can't tear them both apart and they both be whole. They are both ripped apart. That's the idea of cleaving together. And Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, that's how Christ looks at the church. The relationship between Christ and the church He has made the church a part of himself. And so Paul says, we are all part of his body. The church is the bride of Christ, and yet we are a part of his body. That's how Christ looks at the church. And so Paul takes that analogy, and he spins it around, and he says, this is how your family ought to be. This is how your marriage ought to be. And again, many times we look at this, and since men are the preachers, oftentimes we look at the ladies' role here, and we look in Genesis, or chapter 5 and verse 22 here, and we say, Aha! Wives, you must be submissive to us. 
And that's in there. That's true. But there's also something for husbands. He says again, verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the same way that the church is submissive to Christ and subject to Christ, wives need to be subject to their husbands. Because the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. And so just as the church dare not say to Christ, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to follow my own desires, in the same way the wife follows the leadership of her husband. But before we get lost in that, notice what Christ has done as the head of the church. Paul says, let me tell you, men, the standard of leadership that you need to provide for your wife. Verse 23. As Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be to their husbands in every way. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The standard for husbands is a standard of sacrificing themselves for their wives. Men, we give up ourselves for our wives. If we want to have godly leaders, godly men to be leaders of the church down the road, then husbands have to display that kind of leadership in their families. Giving themselves up, giving up their own desires for their wives. Leaders of the church don't use their leadership in the church to satisfy themselves, to get their own way. They lead because they see their responsibility to Christ and to God, but also their responsibility to the church family. And so husbands have that standard of leadership within their families. I give up myself for my wife. Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 26, He gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. That is, set her aside as something special, something unique, placing her on a pedestal so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with washing of water with the word. And Paul here uses the analogy of something that was common both in Greek weddings of the day, but also Jewish weddings of the day. The wedding was a week-long ceremony in which the woman would be bathed by her compatriots, the, the other ladies that were following her. We would call them the maid of honor today, maybe or bridesmaids. They would wash her in a special ceremonial washing. They would put on a beautiful gown, and then she would be carried on a pedestal to her husband's family, where she would be made part of his family. And that's the analogy that Paul's using here, that Jesus, I believe through baptism, washes us, cleanses us, and then carries us to himself in a gown that does not have any spot in it. And so husbands are to look at their wives as being very special, very unique. And then we continue to treat them in a 
unique and honorable way. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Verse 28, So husbands ought also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And so we understand that a healthy individual does not abuse his body. Now some people do. We understand that. And they are unhealthy. And so I love my body. That's why I never go to the gym, because I don't want to abuse it. Right? And so I don't do that. But, but seriously, for a moment, when we think about our bodies, no one abuses in a healthy mindset his own body. And so Paul says, look, in the same way, husbands, that you wouldn't beat yourself up and abuse your body, you don't abuse your wife. But instead, you cherish her and you nourish her. This is the idea of giving her the things that she needs. Spiritually, men, this requires you to build up your wife. And Paul says, just as Christ does that with the church. Now, how does Christ do that with the church? He provides spiritual leadership for the church. He provides an example for us as a church as to how we ought to conduct ourselves, the things we ought to do. And so a husband nourishes his wife spiritually. That requires a husband to know what God desires for our families. That requires that a husband know the word well enough that he's able to guide his family and lead his family to say, this is what God desires for us to do. That requires me as a husband to be in the word. There is perhaps no greater calling that a man could have, as Paul, I mean, as Jay talked about callings this morning, than to be a leader in his family. To raise his family to know, love, and serve the Lord. To take the children in your family and lead them to that position. Sometimes in our culture, we think of a man's responsibility of providing for his family, and that's certainly a part of it. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden... God told Adam, you're going to have to provide by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard work. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's worse than an infidel, someone who doesn't even believe in God. Take care of your family. But we forget, sometimes we want to take that and make that the only thing that we as men do. Paul says, guys, that's not it. We have a responsibility to nourish our wives. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, raise your children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. We have a responsibility to raise our children to know, love, and serve the Lord. And so as we think about leaders in the church, we can see as Paul writes to Timothy and as he writes to Titus and he says, look at their families. How did they raise their families? How did they lead their families? Were they men that were able to raise their children so that their children are godly people? Are they able to raise their children, did you notice what he said to Timothy? With all dignity. Or keep their children in control with all dignity. How does he manage his own household? You look at a man's leadership in his family to know how he'll be a leader in the church. 
When we think about where we're going to be as the Binbrook Church of Christ years down the road, we help men develop into leaders in their families. And so Paul goes on here in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, Men, cherish and nourish your wives. Nourish them spiritually. I believe also keep them nourished emotionally. Keep them healthy spiritually, emotionally. Keep your relationship strong. Nourish your wives. And so that's what we have a responsibility to do as men in the church, as men in our families. Of course, sometimes there are families that have been torn apart already, and that leadership in the family, that male leadership is gone. And now mom has to take on both roles. That's a very difficult task. Those of us that are men in the church need to step up and be willing to encourage young men and young ladies who don't have that positive figure in the home and encourage them by demonstrating what it is to be a man by the way that we interact with those families and to be willing to encourage those young people. As we think about the roles that men play in their families and in their church, we need to think about how we get there, how we develop that leadership. Jay's lesson this morning in Bible class was so fantastic. If you weren't here, you missed a great lesson. But he talked about the fact that Jesus developed these men over time. Sometimes as we disciple and as we build and as we grow, we need to have patience. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that his job as an evangelist is to teach with patience. Notice what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Sometimes when we have a Christian, especially a new Christian, in our microwave mindsets in our current culture, we want things to change immediately. And we forget the role of patience and instruction. What was it that Jesus said in those go statements? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. So we become a disciple at that time in which we are baptized and united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, from that point on, we continue to grow. And sometimes that growth is hard. Sometimes what I'm coming out of is so far from where Christ is that I have to take those baby steps. And when I'm watching someone take those baby steps, sometimes I'm wanting them to go right now. And the determination to change my life may be there. And the desire to change my life may be there. And maybe I articulate that desire to have that change. But sometimes it's hard to take that change or to make that change. And so I take baby steps. 
And as I take those baby steps, sometimes I need to have patience as I watch someone take their, their baby steps. You see, I could tear somebody up all the time, couldn't I? Nitpicking every little thing that they get wrong. And, and if I do that, they're going to be discouraged. But I can celebrate the small successes along the way. But it takes patience. And it also takes instruction. And it's, it's hard sometimes to find that balance. God knows who's truly trying to make the changes in life and who's not. I, I'm not blessed with that insight. And, and so sometimes I need to have that patience to watch that growth happen and to encourage that growth. And not kick someone to the curb every time they make a mistake. And so let's think about, well, how do we do that as a church? How do we do that in our families? Well, first of all, if I'm someone that's growing in my faith, I need to make the commitment I'm going to change. When I became a Christian, I said, I want to live for God. I want to make that change. And so I need to be committed to make that change. And I need to identify things I can do to make that change. As a dad, I need to be determined, what can I do better as a dad? As a husband, I need to make the statement to myself, what do I need to do to be a better husband? I don't need to carve it all out at once, maybe. But I do need to make that determination and take those steps. If I'm a person watching someone make that change, I need to encourage them, but be patient to know sometimes that is hard to do. And so I need to practice that patience and I need to practice that with encouragement. But God knows who's truly trying to make a change and who's not. And so as we watch these new Christians and we think about them being leaders down the road and we know that we're here, but we have to go here, how do we get from here to here? We encourage those steps along the way. Maybe we provide instruction for how we get from here to here along the way. But if I'm this new Christian that's, that's here, I need to be determined I'm going to take these steps. And then I need to do those steps. And when I mess up, I seek forgiveness. I need to own up. I need to take accountability. And if I'm the encourager of watching this happen... I need to not constantly beat up, but I do need to encourage and I do need to remind others that this is where we're trying to get to. And so we take those steps and we grow in our faith and we grow in, in our practice of our faith. I am excited for the Brimbrook Church of Christ. Because we are a young church, we're, all, we're not even a few months old, and we've already had several that have said, I want to be a Christian, and they've become Christians. And so we have these new disciples. And we have others that have been visiting with us. And we look forward to great things from those. And maybe it's hard for us to imagine where we'll be in 20 years or 30 years. But we can get there as we plan and as we grow and as we serve. And so if you're here this morning and you're wanting to make those changes, 
or maybe you've committed to make those changes, but you're having a hard time making those changes in your life, and you want your life to be what God wants it to be, and you need the prayers of the church. Or maybe you're someone that hasn't yet been united with Christ in, in baptism, and you're ready to make that decision to do that. Whatever your need, won't you come? It's together we stand and sing.